Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. To be able to continue to exist in the reality that I just mentioned requires that we, from time to time, remind ourselves of the values of some of our core beliefs and remind ourselves of why we feel the way we feel because of what we've learned in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And I believe that is what the Lord would have me to do tonight. And there is a call for the church, perhaps greater than at any other time in church history, there is a call for the church to be countercultural, to acknowledge that the world that we are living in has quickly, very rapidly, began to degrade before our eyes. That the morality and the stance, the living, the everyday behaviors of humanity are growing indeed worse and worse. And the church must not just keep ourselves just a little bit better than the world. Amen. The church must strive to not find our place in comparison to the world, but to find our place in relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To be who he called us to be. I want to talk about today the spirit of this age and a spirit that we need to have in contradiction to that and resistance to that, and that is specifically a spirit of modesty. Everybody say a spirit of modesty. I would encourage you right off the beginning to not negate ourselves from this conversation tonight and not to think that it is in any particular group of people or person. But let's keep our eyes on the prize, as it were, that we might learn from what God would have for us tonight. This may be a little bit more teachy than preachy. We'll see. Amen. But I believe that a spirit of modesty is something we need to understand biblically. The very fact that the enemy has so consistently attacked the idea of modesty is reason enough for us to consider the role of modesty in our lives, just because the devil hates it so much. Anytime you find something that the devil really hates, that's something you probably want to get connected to. Amen. That's a pretty good guide and idea. If he's trying to destroy it, I probably should be building it up in my life. Amen. The word modest by our definition would be not only dressing, but also behaving. Everybody say dressing. Everybody say behaving. To avoid impropriety or indecency. And I want us to look at it from that perspective tonight. It's important to note that modesty applies to the whole of a person. It's not just about what you put on your body. It's about our entire being, amen, and how we interact and how we present ourselves, the words that come out of our mouth and the things and the behaviors that we have. It speaks to how we present ourselves to the world around us in attitude and in appearance because the Bible speaks about modesty, and the devil works to destroy modesty, I believe that we can consider tonight that a spirit of modesty in our lives is of absolute necessity. That I must have a spirit of modesty. I know that I can word it that way because it is indeed a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing because it's under spiritual attack. Amen. And therefore God is involved and the devil is involved, then I need a spirit of modesty in my life. Our values, church, do not and are never meant to match the values of the world. 
In 1 John 2 and 15, it tells us very plainly, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For any man, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is an impossibility for us to love the world, speaking of the sinful world, speaking of the system opposed to God, speaking of a world that follows after a spirit of immodesty and indecency. The Bible says that if I'm going to be in love with that, uh, then the love of God is not in me. Uh, I cannot love the world and love God at the same time. Oh, hallelujah. Look at the further clarity given to us in the following verses of 1 John. In 1 John 2 and 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the things that are in the world and are of the world. The lust of the flesh, that is any strong desire within my life, that takes precedent over God's will. Amen. The lust of the flesh is anything in my life, any strong compulsion or desire that takes precedent over the will of God. And then he mentions the lust of the eyes, and the eyes being, as it were, the entry point of of the soul. That any strong temptation that is against God's will, that these things that come through the eyes, these are the lust of the eyes. Amen. Now you can put that in a very narrow category if you want to, but you would be mistaken because there's a lot of things that we can see with our eyes and want them so badly that it becomes lust unto us. Amen. There is a sexual immorality that is pervasive in our culture today, but it is not the sexual immorality alone that the lust of the eyes is talking about. There are countless things that you can look at with your eyes and you can lust after them so much that it becomes sin unto you. And then there is the pride of life. He says, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life is an ego. It's a self-will. It is indeed the root of all sin. My self-will is the root of all sin. It's I want what I want, and I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what God says. I don't care if they all say the same thing. That's what you want. (laughs) but I don't care about any of that. I want what I want, and I'm going to do what I want to do. That is the pride of life. These are rampant in our culture today. It is rampant in our culture, but Christians are called to be countercultural. Amen. We are not just trying to be different. I need you to hear your pastor tonight, and this is going to be very pastoral, and if I'm not your pastor, then you can just do whatever you want to do. Amen. But we are not just trying to be different. We don't have these things in our lives. The Bible doesn't just speak about those things as being uh, uh, sinful and destructive. Uh, We don't just have these things that we don't do. uh, Amen. Just so that we can be different. Uh, But we are trying to resist the lust of the flesh. We are trying to push back uh, against the lust of the eyes. We are trying uh, to push back against the pride of life uh, because there's ultimate destruction that is built into following after the flesh in those things and so I must actively resist them in my life. Amen. When godly values conflict with worldly values, we choose the Lord. Amen. I'm going to say it again. When godly values and worldly values conflict, uh, we don't debate about it. We don't discuss it. We don't wonder about it. We don't see how it's going to play out. Uh, We choose the Lord every single time. We choose the Lord immediately. We choose the Lord without even thinking about it. Because if it's going to be God or the world, I want God on my side and I want to be on God's side. Amen. When godly values conflict, we choose the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 17-18. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He says there's some things that are in this world that we need to disconnect ourselves from. There are some things in this world that we need to keep our hands off of. That we shouldn't even be playing around with them. Oh, hallelujah. We shouldn't even be playing around with it. 
You can play around with destructive things only so long. Amen. Do you ever, some of the guys in here probably have seen the, and maybe some of the women too, whatever. There's a YouTube video of a guy who's supposed to, he's a, he's a gun instructor. He's supposed to be a gun instructor, a handgun instructor, but he's, he's kind of messing around and the gun automatic, accidentally goes off on him. And luckily he survives and, and everybody survives. But he was supposed to be the instructor, but he was playing around. Amen? He's playing around, messing around with things. It's like the other video. Man, I'm making guys look bad right now. I should have... I should have thought about this in advance and been an equal opportunity. Uh, but there's the other video of the guy that's got the big bonfire in his backyard. I'll be nice to the ladies because they were just at ladies retreat. He's got the big bonfire going in his backyard. and He's got this bottle of, uh, of uh, you know, whatever, some sort of fire starter. And uh, he, he squeezes the bottle real hard so the stream of it goes and hits the fire and the fire just follows it right back up and explodes the bottle in his hands and he throws the bottle and it starts catching other stuff on fire. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny if you're watching it on YouTube. It's not funny if it's your backyard. Amen? It's not funny, it's your backyard. The Bible tells us very quickly, he says, touch not the unclean thing. Touch not the unclean thing. Don't even touch it. The reason why he doesn't want you to touch it is because touch is the sensation that also often leads to the next. Once I touch it, then, there's some, then I want to have further involvement with it. I want to be connected to it even more. I want to see what it's like after that. So he says it's better off that there's some things in life that you don't even touch. So come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Be separate. Separate yourself from some stuff that's going to be destructive in your life. And he says, as he always does, when he asks anything of us, when God ever asks anything of us that we might find any, any remotely challenging, he always connects some sort of promise to it. And he says, if you'll do that, I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So you're telling me if I just quit touching some stuff and separate myself from some destruction, stuff uh, that I got a heavenly father the almighty God who says I'm going to receive you unto myself uh, and I'm going to help you and I'm going to be your father it really doesn't seem like much of a trade-off when you think of it that way I can go along with some cultural expectations until it counters with God's expectation. Everything's not bad. Everything's not horrible. Everything's not sinful. I can go along with some of it until it goes counter to what God expects. And our culture today has embraced a spirit of immodesty. Fully and completely embraced a spirit of immodesty. And I can't go along with that. And the church can't go along with that. We are aware that Adam and Eve existed in a different state at the beginning. I think we should get that. They were the only ones that were existed. They were in the garden. He made man and female. They were together. They were created by God and left in that creative state, meaning that they were not covered in clothing. We understand that. They were naked. Just for if you weren't following me there. <laughs> In Genesis 3, it says in 9 through 13, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? God says to him, Who told you about this? Where did this even come from? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman... Whom thou gave me. You see all the separators he's doing there? Gave us to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So the Lord looks at the woman. The God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent. <laughs> Everybody's pointing a finger at someone else. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. When sin entered the picture and entered into their hearts, they learned a new word, naked. 
They didn't know that word. That wasn't part of their existence. But when sin came in, along with it came a new understanding and a revelation of their state of being. But that state of being, that new revelation that came in was automatically negative because the revelation was exposed to them from Satan. When Satan brings things into our life, they're never going to be positive. When Satan brings things into our life, it's never going to have a glory to it. It's never going to have a wonder to it. It's never going to have a goodness to it. Oh, hallelujah. And so they learn a new word. And it's such a new concept that God asked them a question. Who told you that you were naked? And have you eaten of the tree wherefore I commanded you not to eat? So where did you hear this? And did you already break the one rule I told you? The one thing I told you not to do, the one thing I told you not to touch, the one thing I told you not to partake of, the one thing I said stay away from. They didn't even know nakedness until sin was established in them, but quickly it had the effect that was intended as they tried to hide from God. As soon as it came in, something from Satan, something that was new, something that was different from what God had ordained and what God had planned, it came in and it immediately impacted them to the point that they had to hide themselves from the Lord. Amen. Anything that tries to separate us from God is sin. And no matter what it is or where it comes from, if it's trying to separate us from God, you need to point it out and acknowledge it and say, that's not for me or my house because we're going to serve the Lord. I'm not going there. I'm not touching that. I'm not behaving that way. I'm not saying that word. I'm not watching that thing because it's not good for my relationship with God. It's trying to separate me from God. So I'm going to call sin, sin, and I'm going to say no. Oh, hallelujah. Notice that the hiding was a result of another new thing. Fear. Everybody say fear. fear. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Think about the sadness of that. This is the Adam that walked with the Lord in the cool of the evening. This is the Adam and Eve that had a, a, the relation, a relationship with God to the degree of closeness and, and, and intimacy and just utter perfection. They had relationship with God in a sinless place. Oh, hallelujah. I'm looking forward to heaven. How about you? They had relationship with God in a sinless place. Uh, but all the devil had to do was introduce a new thing to them and get them to sin. And as soon as they sin, fear comes into the picture. And who are they afraid of now? God. Now suddenly they're afraid of the one who created them. Now they're hiding from the God who loved them so much. All their regular logic and reasoning about God has been thrown out the window because of a new spirit that has come in through sin. It's not just changing their appearance, but it's also changing their attitude towards God. I need us to grab a hold of that tonight, that this new thing, uh, this, new, this new sin that was entered into their lives did not just change uh, their appearance. We're going to talk about that in a second, but also their whole attitude about God. Now they're afraid of God. No reason to be afraid of God. No experience to base on being afraid of God. Nothing they can point their finger at to say, that's why I'm afraid of God. But just because sin has entered in, this is the effect of sin still in our world today. A new spirit has shown up and it has totally flipped the normal thinking on what God has established. It has turned it upside down. And you say, I don't understand why people can even think that. How could they even do that? Where, that's not even logical. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, but that's because there is a spirit loose uh, in our culture today that has com completely uh, corroded the hearts and the minds uh, of men and women and flipped everything upside down oh hallelujah therefore we must get connected and we must stay connected to a spirit of modesty in our lives next we see that God established a guide for them concerning their nakedness they had sewn some fig leaves together and made aprons the Bible says that word aprons basically means it was something that they wrapped around their waist 
they had sewed some fig leaves and they had made aprons. But God in Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made coats of skins and clothed them. This was a new thing as well. They didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't know how to, to deal with it. That word clothed in Genesis 3 means to properly. That's a, it's a key element to it. To properly wrap around and to put on a garment. To do it the right way means to do it God's way. Oh, hallelujah. I said to do it the right way means to do it God's way. Sin established its way, and then God established his way, and they were not the same. Everybody see that? Sin established its way. They were afraid, and they were hiding from God, and they sewed some fig leaves together. Sin said, this is what you need to do. And God established his way. He said, I'm going to come to you, and I'll call out to you, but I'm also going to have to clothe you and cover you. Now that this is a part of the reality of your situation, I'm going to have to show you how to do it the right way. And these two ways were worlds apart. They were not the same. And friends, if it was not the same when it was entered into humanity for the first time, it sure as off ain't the same today. If you're relying on the culture to tell you what's modest and immodest, uh, amen, you're going to be a far off way from what God thinks is modest and immodest. Uh, if we're relying on the culture for how we look and how we talk and how we present ourselves and how we behave, if we're relying on the culture, we're not going to be anywhere close to what God expects of his people. Amen. The spirit of modesty is designed to counter the spirit of immodesty and indecency. Because the spirit of immodesty and indecency will destroy us if it's left unchecked. What we are seeing in our culture today is that doors were opened because people thought it was going to be freeing and liberating and empowering. And certain doors were opened when they did not understand that there was not going to be a way to close it again. What we're seeing today, and I'm not going to go down it. You, you, you know it. You can see the news. You see what's happening in the schools and the young kids and some of the things that they think and how they feel about who they even are or what they are. I guarantee you there were some grandparents and parents that opened up doors in their hearts and in their homes that did not expect that it was going to lead to what their grandkids are doing now. They thought it was liberating. They thought it was empowering. They thought they were taking a stand for their personal freedom or whatever, but they thought that there would be a limit. In their mind, they thought there was going to be a limit. Everybody, amen, everybody who pushes the envelope, they think that eventually it will be stopped. Eventually there will be a line that no one will cross, but that's the problem with humanity and sin is once you open up certain doors in your life or in your heart, in your home or in a culture, amen, those doors can't be closed again and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse oh hallelujah and so if we're not careful a spirit of immodesty and indecency can destroy a culture it will also destroy us if it gets into our lives proverbs the seventh chapter is a warning to all somebody say all it's illustrative. It's a warning to all who read it. It's an ageless issue that all face in some way. It's a very specific illustration, but it can be opened up to a broader context. In Proverbs 7, 6-9, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youth a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way of her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black, and the dark night. There are so many things wrong here. There are so many red flags in just those few sentences. First of all, he says, I saw throughout, through my window, a, one of the simple ones. That means foolish. Everybody say foolish. foolish. It means foolish in the nicest way possible. It's not necessarily deliberately looking to sin, but just putting himself in a position to do so. 
I looked out the window and I saw one of the simple ones. I saw a foolish uh, young man. He wasn't necessarily looking to do something horrible. He wasn't looking to drastically mess up his life. He wasn't looking to just go and sin, but he was putting himself foolishly in a position to do so. He was setting himself up for failure. Oh, hallelujah. One of the simple ones, he says, a youth, a youth who was void of understanding, meaning not aware that the world is full of traps. And I'm just going to say it like this. I understand that the scripture is, is, is speaking of youth, and it's this illustrative, remember, and it's speaking of someone who is young and understanding. We got a lot of old people in the world that are living like they don't know there's a trap, that there's a snare. Amen. We got grandma and grandpas walking around putting themselves in dumb positions to fail and to destroy and to mess up their life because they're acting like they don't understand that there's a pit that's been dug for them to fall into. And of course, the setting is in the black and dark night. As he gets closer to her house, the light is diminished. Did you catch that? In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. The closer he gets to this place called her house, the light is diminished and the dark is taking over. Oh, hallelujah. You want to know when you are leaving the realm of a spirit of modesty and entering into a realm of a spirit of immodesty, indecency, the light of truth and the light of love and the light of God will begin to fade as you enter into the darkness. If you're finding it hard to see, you're probably going the wrong way. Amen? If you're finding it hard to figure out what's ahead, you're probably going the wrong direction. It's getting darker as he gets closer to her house, Proverbs 7:10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Not only does her appearance determine what she is about, but her attitude does as well. Everybody see it. It's not just her appearance. But it's also her attitude. She's subtle of heart, which means she's cunning, which means she's concealing her real motive. As in uh, uh, Genesis 3 and 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. So this is illustrative, and it's powerfully so, of this young man wandering the street and encountering this harlot who is there. And, and it's known that she's a harlot by the way that she looks because she has a spirit of indecency and immodesty. But it's also known that she is a destructive person and a harlot because she's also very subtle, and she is hiding and concealing what she is really trying to accomplish. She's hiding and concealing the destruction that is actually going to come if he interacts with her, which is exactly the spirit of the world that we live in today. Amen. The devil is covering himself, but he's not covering himself as good as he used to or like he used to because he's got more freedom now. And you can see it. You can see it in his appearance. He's putting it all out there. He used to cover it and hide it and make it look like it was something good, but it was not. But now they just throw it all out there. It's all in your face. You can see that it's a harlot. You can see that it's a of the devil. You can see that it's not good. You can see that it's something you should be staying away from, separating and keeping your hands off of. But there's that subtle subtlety that is still there that is hiding the true intent of what the devil's going to do. If you put your hands on it, I'm preaching to somebody today. If you put your hands on it, you're going to find out that the devil had a plan for your destruction the whole time. Start playing around with things. You're going to find out that it's not at all what you thought it was. And it was just a trap for destruction. Oh, hallelujah. And so, so she caught him, Proverbs 7, 13, and kissed him. And with an impudent face said unto him, and look at 16 and 18. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, and with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill to love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Oh, what a selling, huh? What a sell. What an advertisement. What a way of making something look really good that's really bad. Oh, hallelujah. Church, I'm just telling you, 
I'm not going to be able to keep up. I'm not going to be able to get up here and preach every new thing that's wrong. We can't keep up with it. It's every day. It's all the time. And it's so subtle and it's so destructive. And some of it's just, it's just right out there in the open. But the devil's still doing what he does. He's still hiding the realities. And he's still hiding the things. Amen. It's all over the place. We thought we, we thought we learned with the cigarettes, didn't we? We thought we learned. We thought we learned after all of the lawsuits and all the billions and billions of dollars that the, 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 the cigarette industries had to pay for all the people that were dying of cancer, we thought we had learned, and then they just come up with vaping. And now here we have, it's the same routine again. And this is just one thing. I don't know why I'm picking this one thing. If you're vaping, you should stop. But it's just the same routine again. And, uh, and, and now it's been out. And now it's destroying all kinds of lives. Now it's getting uh, uh, kids and young adults addicted and leading them into other things. Uh, and it's happening right before our eyes. And now we're seeing the first round of commercials of, hey, this is actually not good for you. Hey, you probably shouldn't do this. Uh, hey, now we're going to have things in our schools and, uh, and, and signs up on the walls that tell kids, uh, this is bad for you. You shouldn't do it. You don't think they knew that in the first place? Uh, you don't think the devil knew it was addictive and destructive in the first place? Exactly. Sure he did. He's always knows what it is, but he's subtle. He says, oh, come on in. This is going to be good. You're going to enjoy this. This is going to make your life better. She caught him and kissed him. She says, this is going to be wonderful. She goes on to talk about how the man of the house is gone the Bible calls her a harlot, so whether or not there's even a man in the house, I don't know. She says he's taken a great bag of money. He's gone away. Why is she saying that? What is the purpose of that verbiage? The purpose of that verbiage is the intent is to convince the young man that there's no way we're going to get caught. You got nothing to worry about. Nobody's ever going to know. That's a lie. Let me show you how much of a lie that is. If you're in this room, oh, I pray for honesty right now. If you're in this room and you've ever gotten in trouble and you didn't think you were gonna, but you did, would you raise your hand? Amen. The devil is a liar. And you know who else is a liar? We are, sometimes. Hmm. The temptation is strong, it's persuasive, and it's well-planned. She's done this before. The devil's done what he's doing to you, he's done it before. You're not the first one that he's tried to rope this way. You're not the first one he's tried to pull in. And I'm talking to some apostolics here today. I'm not preaching to the world. I'm preaching to the church. Uh, you're not the first apostolic that the devil has tried to convince. Uh, uh, it's all right. Just play around it with a little bit. It's just a one-time thing. Uh, it's just a one-night thing. It'll be fun. It'll be exciting. You're not the first apostolic that the devil has tried to pull in and try to convince uh, that everything's going to work out just fine. And if it doesn't, nobody's ever going to know the devil is a liar. He wants to destroy your soul. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your future. And you can clap or not clap. But I'm telling you right now, as the pastor of this church, we got to come awake and understand there's a spirit of immodesty and a spirit of indecency that is rampant in our society. And the church has got to get connected and stay connected to a spirit of modesty that says, I will please the Lord. Hey, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. This is the approach of the spirit of immodesty and indecency at first. This is how it starts. Oh, hallelujah. But you have to put away the spirit of modesty. <laughs> you have to put away the spirit of modesty to participate in the spirit of immodesty. They will not work together. You have got to leave a spirit of modesty behind to participate in the spirit of immodesty. Because a spirit of modesty would have you at home, far away from this place. 
A spirit of modesty would have you not out roaming the streets at night. A spirit of modesty would have you not walking by her house. Spirit of modesty would have you not touching things you shouldn't touch, participating in things you shouldn't be participating in. So you have to put away a spirit of modesty, but that only makes room for the spirit of immodesty and indecency. And the result is nearly determined from the moment modesty is put away. There is not much to stop us once we embrace the world's thinking. And if you need evidence of that, just look at American Christianity as a whole today. And just look at churches who thought that they were going to be so successful if they just embraced some of the culture. And thought everything was just going to go great if they embraced the culture. And churches are dying at an alarming rate today. They're dying at an alarming rate. But the reason why they're dying and people aren't showing up is because their doctrines died years ago. It's because their confidence in the word died years ago. Because their ability to stand up for God died years ago. And they just embraced the culture. Oh, hallelujah. The result is nearly determined from the moment modesty is put away. Look at it as it continues, Proverbs 7, 21 through 23. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield, and with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Knoweth not that it is for his life. This game is for keeps. The devil's playing a game for keeps. He steals and kills and destroys. He's not just trying to have you a, a bad day. He's not just trying to trip you up, but you'll be fine. You get back up your feet next Sunday. He's playing for keeps. This is for your life. This is understandably illustrative. As a young man and a harlot, but not only that, it is anything that appeals to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This isn't just about a young man, hey man, who's going after some sort of sexual perversion. This is anything to anyone that appeals to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is anything that pulls us away from the will of God and where we're supposed to be and doing what we're supposed to be doing. Culture entices us with fun and we don't realize that it is for our life. It's for our life. This illustrative youth who is void of understanding could easily end up like the man Jesus meets on the shores of Gadara in Luke 8, 27. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils a long time, and he wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. It's not immediately after choosing a spirit of immodesty. It's not immediately after choosing a spirit of indecency that we change. But once that spirit has time to work on us, once that spirit has time to continue to lead us into greater darkness, look what happened. This man is disconnected from his life from his family, from his home, from his clothing. He's disconnected from his right mind. His appearance and his attitude have been completely altered. This is not just about how we look. Modesty is not just about how we look. It is about his appearance and his attitude has been completely altered because the Spirit has got a hold of his life. 
And we look at 835, however, the joy of the story. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Hallelujah. When the spirit that was destroying this man came in contact with Jesus, something had to change. You hear me? Uh, something has to change uh, when, the, when the spirit uh, of immodesty and indecency and sinfulness uh, comes in contact uh, with the spirit of the almighty God. Uh, these two things do not coexist. Uh, something is going to change. And when the spirits were removed, uh, the spirit of modesty reappeared. Uh, and not just in appearance, uh, but also in attitude. Uh, now instead of running around in the night, uh, he's at the feet of Jesus. Now instead of running around naked, he's clothed. And now instead of running around with a messed up mind, he's in his right mind because his attitude and his appearance have been altered by the spirit of the almighty God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, connect point, hear me. Amen. We cannot and we will not, as long as I have anything to do, and I believe you agree with me, we will not become a church that just says, well, we'll just lower the standard way down. We'll just embrace the culture because we want to make everybody feel comfortable and we want everybody to be happy. If you haven't noticed, God's bringing people to the church just the way we are. That's because we're a church that believes in the word of God. We're a church that believes in separation from the world. We're a church that believes in holiness on the inside that reflects on the outside. We're a church that stands upon the promise of God. And as long as we stay that church, he can keep bringing us people who need deliverance and who need to be set free from the spirit of the world. Oh, if you believe that, I wish you'd clap your hands and shout unto God. Anybody who would call themselves a Christian should have a spirit of modesty. Oh, hallelujah. A modesty that is directed by God, not by what the magazine says in the aisle at the supermarket, not by what the YouTube video says. Romans 12, you know it. You hear it all the time, but I wish you would really just think. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I'm begging you, he says. I'm begging you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We present our whole self to the Lord. Somebody say my whole self. Amen. I don't just give God my mind. He wants my mind, but I don't just give him my mind. I give him my heart, but not just my heart. I give him my whole soul, my whole being, but not just that. I give him my body too. Hallelujah. My body as well. My whole self is presented to the Lord. We are not conformed, but we are transformed, and therefore we are countercultural. We've been transformed. By the renewing of our minds. And if our minds are renewed according to God, there's no way it's going to look like what the prince and power of the air has done in this world that we live in. No way. No way it can look the same. No way it can sound the same. Behave the same. Act the same. No way. We are looking for the will of God to be fulfilled in our lives. And to have the will of God fulfilled in my life, there must be a spirit of modesty alive in me. There must be a spirit of modesty that keeps me separate from the world because if I'm with the world, I can't have the will of God. I want you to look at these contradictions given to us and then we'll move on. 
Galatians 5. Look at it with me, 19 through 25. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. These are what they look like. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. He gives us enough of them to get the idea. He's not creating a whole list because he knew 2022 was going to exist. He says, I can't give you a whole list of what's coming. I can't give you a whole list of what people are going to come up with and convince themselves is good and flip their thinking completely because the spirit of immodesty is going to take over a culture. He says, but I'm going to give you enough things so that you'll know it when you see it. And he names all of those things. He says, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past. Let me repeat myself. He says, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Why be an apostolic Pentecostal church and hold a standard of separation from the world? Why? Because we still want to be a place where people can come. And through here, and through their connected to Jesus and through the relationship with God and the discipleship that is born in this place, they will actually get to go to heaven and spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not looking to be a place that just pats people on the back. We have no desire to be a place that just pumps people up. We're all trying to get to heaven and I want you to go to heaven as much as I want to go to heaven. And every person that walked through that door this morning or in any given Sunday, I want them to go to heaven too and he says all of those things and things like that you cannot inherit the kingdom of God but the fruit of the spirit he says is love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance and against these things there is no law they that are Christ, they have crucified the flesh with the affections and its lust. He said those that are with Christ, they have crucified the flesh. They've laid that flesh down on an altar. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Apostolic. Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking Christian, if we live in the Spirit, we ought to be walking in the Spirit. These two descriptive lists given to us in Galatians 5 are not even close to being similar. There's nothing on either of these lists that's even close to the other. They're so far apart to say that there is a way to please Christ and culture at the same time is foolishness. It's foolishness. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That means our inner principles will be reflected in our outer practice. It means that what I proclaim to believe and stand for in my heart will be seen in my actions. The fruit of the Spirit is specifically given to us in that format because when you see a fruit tree, you know it. When you see a fruit tree, you know it. You see the fruit thereof and you know it. Saying, look, those things that you claim to be, those things that you claim to have on the inside, you shouldn't have to convince anyone that you have them. You shouldn't have to convince anyone that you're a Christian. You shouldn't have to convince anyone that you're a believer, that the Bible is forever settled in heaven and you believe every word of it. You shouldn't have to convince anyone of that because there will be fruits that will speak for you. 
there will be fruits that will speak for you. Stand with me if you would, please. The Lord is actively and routinely connecting people to this church. People are trying to disconnect from the culture that lied to them and destroyed their lives. If you're feeling, I'm just, I'm just going to say it like this. We have so many new people coming. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it, if you're feeling like, man, this is so many people, I don't know, I don't even recognize that this church is so much has changed. Let me, let me tell you how to deal with that. Talk to them. Because there ain't a one of them that's walking into this place with the mentality that we're going to change this church. They're walking in here with the mentality that says, I believe that there's something here that could change me. Because they were lied to. They were lied to a long time ago and it's been destroying their lives ever since. But when they come in contact with Jesus, the spirit of immodesty and indecency and the lies of the devil get thrown out the window and they can come and learn at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in their right mind. God is still doing miracles. So God help us. If they're going to walk in this place, they must, they must see a church that is countercultural. They must see a church that is countercultural. If they even get a whiff, if it even looks a little bit like we're just going to start playing with the world, what's the point of any of us being here? And they need witnesses. You hear me, apostolic that's been saved for 30 or 40 years? They need witnesses that can declare the devil is a liar. They need witnesses whose appearance and attitude reflect the spirit of modesty. Who can say, oh, I know. I was there myself. I was there myself. But then I came to Jesus. They need witnesses. They need somebody to open their mouth and talk to them and tell them, oh, hallelujah, I know what you've been lied to about. I know what you were promised and never came through. I heard the same thing myself, but then I got a word from the Lord. And when my word came from the Lord, everything he said has come to pass. Everything my Jesus speaks is right and righteous and true. And he never lies and he never sets us up for failure. They need a witness to tell them they're in the right place because this is a countercultural church who stands upon the never-changing word of God. Lift your hands and begin to call upon Jesus right now. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.